Welcome to Last Call, a bonus segment of Cinemaholics where we cover a film or a TV show in way more detail than we would have time for on the main program. And of all the shows I've personally seen over the years, the HBO series Game of Thrones, which debuted in 2011, has to be probably the closest to blurring the lines between cinema and TV slash episodic storytelling as we know it. So we're going to be discussing the series finale, the final season of Game of Thrones overall, and even the entire season or the entire series and its lasting impact on pop culture and each other. So I have a wonderful panel on deck to help me unravel the many threads of Game of Thrones. First up, she is writing her own biography in the white book of podcasters. Because why wait for someone else to mess it up? It's our very own Cinemaholic staff writer and master of pens, Julia Tatey. Hi. Hello, so Julia. It's so good here. to have you. Oh, I'm so excited to be here. Thank you for having me. Next, you know her from her hot pie takes on all things Thrones over at the playlist, where she's been recapping each episode of, I think, not just this past season, but you've done previous seasons before. Get ready to bend the knee and swear fealty to Kimber Myers. Thank you. This was actually my my first season. So okay. uh, I took over from, from Katie Walsh, who is amazing um and left me some big shoes to feel to fill yeah yeah i've i've been reading katie walsh for years uh look up to her so uh it, that's definitely definitely huge shoes to fill and i'd say i've read most of your recaps and i think you've done a terrific job so thank you all right well like I said, we're going to be talking about Game of Thrones because the series finale happened. So if, if you don't know anything about Game of Thrones, you know, we're <laughs> going to be talking about the show, right? So if you don't want any spoilers and any of that stuff, you probably just want to go away for now and, and come back when you do. Before we get started, Kimber Myers, please update the listeners on how they can find more of your writing and everything you're doing online. Sure. So I mostly write for the LA Times and The Playlist, but I've also been contributing recently to both cherrypicks.com as well as uh, adamtickets.com. So uh, the place where you can best find where my stuff is is generally on Twitters, where I'm at Twitters, uh, where I'm at Kimber Myers. <laughs> Awesome. We're all on the Twitters. That's where yeah. that's where we hang out. That's the new water cooler. But yeah. Julia Tatey, uh, what about you? I mean, everybody knows, everyone in Cinemaholics knows where, is to fi- where to find your Cinemaholics takes, but you have tons of other great bylines. Uh, where, where have they been residing lately? Yeah, sure. So I have been writing weekly for a site, an outlet called Zimbio, and you can find my uh, writing there from everything from Thrones to Killing Eve to uh, the miniseries on HBO called Chernobyl. You can find a lot of my stuff there, as well as uh, writing trailer releases and news for the playlist and every once in a while a review here and there, as well as every once in a while showing up on Film School Rejects and Girls on Tops. All right. What a, what a collection of bylines. Uh, very pumped to have both of you. So, Going through this, there's a lot of things that I want to talk about and hear from both of you, but I think the easiest way to get into this is for each of us to sort of get into our history with the series and maybe the books. And that's where I think that should be a good place to start. So we all can have a sense of where each of us is coming from. So starting with you, Kimber Myers, like what is your history with this series? Like when did you come into it? Was it all the way from the beginning? Did you get into the books? What, what is your baggage, your Game of Thrones baggage? (laughs) So um, I had read all of the books before the show started and was a, a big fan nerd um, alert I'm yeah no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah no it won't be a surprise to, to anyone that knows me um yeah i i'd read the books i was super excited with like each bit of casting news um and uh yeah was i've been a big fan throughout the show even though it's kind of like um my level of fandom and interest has gone from like a 10 down to like maybe a seven or eight and like back up and down again gotcha gotcha so as we got into the final season, where were you at intellectually and emotionally <laughs> before we began? Because I think that that probably says a lot about how the season might have played out for you. Yeah, I was really looking forward to it, um, particularly in terms of someone that has been a follower of this universe for um, for well over a decade and really wanted to know how, how it ended. So yeah. I, I was really looking forward to it. 
Same question for you, Julia. I mean, I know we talk about the thrones, but give, give us a little hit. What is your past? What, what, what's, what's, your, what's your backstory here? Yeah, so my entry point with uh, Game of Thrones is actually the exact opposite of Kimber's. I actually started watching the series, uh, I think a little, a few months after its third season. I picked it up when a lot of uh, my friends at university were talking about it, and I felt kind of the sense of obligation and wanted to be a part of the conversation. And as soon as I started, I was hooked by you know, the world building, the developing mythos, the cast, it was it was really easy for me to get into. I haven't read the books, but I have a long Rolodex of titles to read through in the coming months, for sure. Right, right. Including uh, Killer Joy, the latest novel by... Oh. I'm just joking. Anyway, <laughs> so... Yeah, I'm somewhat similar to you, Julia. I, I knew of Game of Thrones or A Song of Ice and Fire, the books... But I never read them. And then it's so funny because like the show comes out in 2011. And the reason I didn't watch it was just because like, I didn't have HBO. Like I was a very broke, you know, junior college student. And I think I was watching like Teen Wolf, right? Because like I could. And I, I had to I had to stay out of the, the thrones, as it were. And I remember I would see the books at like Barnes and Noble. And I always told myself one day I'm just going to go right through these. And I did eventually. I think around the time the third season was wrapping up, uh, we we watched the pilot, uh, my roommate and I, and I was kind of like, oh, this is kind of interesting. But then we didn't watch the second episode or, or the whole thing. And then both of us just stopped. And I think like right before the fourth season was about to come out, I watched everything. Like I, for some random reason, I sat down and I watched everything that was going on because I think I was on sabbatical at the time. Which, for those of you listening, if you've never done sabbaticals, just totally do that because it's uh, absolutely wonderful. Not and and I know like for a lot of people, it's like a circumstances thing. But if your circumstances ever align, it's definitely definitely a grand thing. But yeah, I, I read the books like after the fourth season because I, that was the first time that I had followed like the show ever, and I was I was actually writing recaps at the time. And when the fourth season ended. I had to read the books because I was like, I can't just wait to find out what happens next. So that's that's what happened. But Julia, do you think do you think uh, you would be able to if, if the books finished out, like if we found out that yes, Winds of Winter and Dream of Spring is coming, would you just do all of it at once and and wait until then to read them all? Oh gosh, I probably would. You know, just getting having them taken down one at a time. Love getting a full series, so. Sure, why not? Yeah, binge the whole thing. It takes a while to read thing. all the books. Yeah. Binge reading. Let's make it happen. <laughs> <laughs> sure, that's what I did with Harry Potter. So there you, um, go. there you go. All right, Kimber Myers. Uh, I want to. I want to do something kind of interesting that I've been sort of seeing online people do, which is they're giving letter grades to each season. Which I understand it can be a little bit reductive, but I'm very curious about this, Kimber. Do you have a letter grade for each season? And if so, what are they? I don't know if I have a letter grade specifically. And I think too, part of it is that um, the seasons, the way that they're structured are full of highs and lows. And um, especially in those first six seasons, you have a bit more time. So there are some slower episodes in there. Um, I would, I would definitely rank the seventh season is my least favorite. <laughs> mm, interesting. Okay. Um, yeah, I, I would say that that is that is true. Um, and but I also don't think I know a lot of people think that the show went off the rails once it um, outpaced Martin's books. And I don't think that's necessarily true. I think season six was was really strong, and um, parts of season eight were also very strong. Um, though I'm sure we'll get into my myriad of issues with I said uh, <laughs> there would be hot pie takes so <laughs> I really I, I love that comparison by the way give me all the the bread and the carbs right. um, yeah and I, I do think though like in the first four seasons I do I just I love the show so much and even though it has um, made me really happy and also disappointed me at, at points um, I don't know if I can quite give a ranking to everything, but I do think it's one of the more interesting, certainly more ambitious shows on television, or it was one of the, oh, I hate referring to yeah. it in the past, in the past tense. It's very sad. 
Yeah, yeah. Do you have a favorite season then? Oh, God. Um, <laughs> I hate to put you through this. Why am I having to choose among my favorite children, John? Um, <laughs> I don't know if I have a favorite season. I would say probably either three or four, um, but mostly favorite episodes where um, I've just really been impressed, whether there are a number of the battle episodes like Hard Home and Blackwater or um, the real shockers that was fun as a a smug book reader to to watch, whether it was uh, The Reigns of Castamir, a.k.a. The Red Wedding, or, um, yeah, like, that is so brutal, um, but so fascinating. And then I think it was uh, Baylor was the that penultimate episode of the first season where um, it got real with Ned Stark's death. And for the book readers, it was interesting to see it play out on screen, but it was also really fun to watch everybody else realize, oh, no one is safe in in the Seven Kingdoms and beyond. So it's, um, yeah, there's just been a lot of moments that I've really loved. Yeah, as a non-book reader, those were some very, very troubling <laughs> moments. I, I got the chance, uh, I had a coworker who just recently watched all of it, like in the last few weeks. I think she watched all se- uh, 8.5 seasons because uh, cause she like watched it all the way up into like the series finale was about to come out. And I was there and she was like, she saw the red wedding and she just kind of like oh, put her headphones down and just like left, <laughs> like just <laughs> peaced out, checked out. But all right, Julia Tatey, you, you know, you haven't been known for your hot pie takes. Some would say you've been known for your lemon takes. So let us know um, if you could, if you could let her grade each season even maybe including the final one, if you want, uh, how would you do so? Well, I think kind of like Kimber was saying, you know, Game of Thrones has been such a huge behemoth on television for nearly a decade up until this point. And I always thought that the series had been fairly solid. So I, I was always kind of going through and seeing if I could give each season a letter grade. I was always finding myself within like anywhere between the B minus to B plus range for various seasons. Um, I have to agree with Kimber too. I think you might've said this Kimber, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, season six is also one of my favorite seasons. Also really love season three as well. And for me, it just kind of comes down to, you know, the pen ultimate moments of every single season that really kind of defines for me um, how well the season either concludes or, Um, just the high points of the season, the peaks among the many valleys of every season, I think really have defined what has made every individual season stand out so much and become each person's individual favorite season. Um, But yeah, I just, I feel like they've all been very solid television throughout its entire run. Um, Again, pacing issues have always been, you know, kind of, here and there and i mean especially in this last season i think that we'll definitely get into a lot of the uh structural qualms that we had and the uh writing qualms but uh yeah i don't know it's really hard to pick a favorite i think that they're just always defined by the my favorite moments from every season well i'll give a letter grade each season because (laughs) (laughs) i have my letter grade i can go through them okay okay well go ahead Okay, so uh, season one, I'd actually give a B because pacing aside, it is kind of the season that started all of it. And like Kimber was saying, the ending of the first season kind of just threw out all the rules to the wayside. And for people whose uh, entry point to Game of Thrones was the first season, watching it all play out on television, it just kind of, yeah, it's the, it set the right tone. So it's it's a B for Baylor. A B, yes. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Sounds good. Uh, season two, I also gave a B. I thought that it was, you know, like we were talking, like Kimber was saying, and I had mentioned the pacing and the more expositional moments of the series. Uh, but the Battle of Blackwater is one of my favorite episodes from the early seasons and is just really visually magnificent. I think that it really displayed kind of the amount of just visual language that the series was really going for and i really loved that um season three i'd also give a b 
I oh I wouldn't give this one a B. I would give this one a B plus because this was the season <laughs> where it started to seem like everything was really starting to hit the fan, so to speak, uh, and just the reigns of Castamere. I mean that episode that just wrecked the entirety of the fandom for a solid couple of months. I'm sure periods of mourning after that episode. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, season four, I gave a B minus. I feel like it's one of the more transitional seasons of the entire series. That's really just trying to pull all the strings together in the middle of the series. Uh, and then for me, my least favorite season was uh, season five. Actually, I'd give it somewhere between a C plus and B minus range. Uh, if it wasn't for Hard Home, I feel like I would have a different kind of uh, grade for the season. But I feel like the payoff here wouldn't have been so profound. Uh, this is also the season where my interest kind of started wavering in characters that we should really care about, like Arya. And I was really starting to take some personal offense to the treatment of characters like Sansa a lot that really started hitting home for me um but yeah it was just one of one of my lesser favorite seasons for sure and then season six I'd give a b plus that's where everything really starts to come together the payoff of the battle of the bastards is really great and then uh season seven I felt like uh that was a b minus for me at least uh things were starting to come together but exposition here and there some of the characters like Tyrion weren't being given the kind of writing that they had been given in past seasons making them a little bit less of dynamic characters so it was a kind of mixed bag but what are your grades John oh boy very similar to yours actually uh some some identical ones but season one season one I actually am a little higher on I'm b plus on that because even it's a little shabby and you know they were just starting out budget wasn't really settling in yet but you really got to give a lot of credit to to Baylor and some of the great foreshadowing in that in that entire season uh what they were able to do with really bringing the book to life in a way that I thought was interesting like I, something I didn't really appreciate until I read the first book which might be my favorite of the books I I definitely liked the the first one and Storm of Swords the best but yeah, see, season two was a little less for me. I, I I was more like a B minus on that. I think Blackwater is a really great episode. It's like the one that stands out. But a lot of the other things going on, like the fake out with Bran and Rickon and mm-hmm. all, Grey, all the Greyjoy stuff, I thought it was strange that they made Rob such a big character because I, d- I just still didn't really buy him. And in retrospect, it all kind of makes sense why they did that because they wanted you know, Red Wedding to be more interesting and they didn't want Richard Madden to just disappear <laughs> for a whole season the way Bran does in season five. But right. yeah, other than that, yeah, other than that, it's it's all kind of just, you know, your favorite stuff isn't really Arya and Tywin, right? It's it's mm-hmm. it's what comes next. And I think that's season three. Uh, I'm agreed with that, uh, except I would I would say that season three is probably a, actually yeah, a B plus for that one too. I think Reigns of Castamere is such a great sequence, but then you also got to look at Daenerys getting the Unsullied is is just right. one of the all-time best episodes. I forget the name of that episode. It's like probably just Mother of Dragons or something like that. But yeah, the, the gift where she's like dropping the mic is it's pretty iconic. You know, they should they should teach that in in film school, uh, <laughs> every film school. But yeah, and then and then the John and Egret storyline I think is another thing that kind of stands out for me. And I did really like the way that they slowly sort of just let. Catelyn and Rob's campaign really crumble because they, they, they handled it, I thought, perfectly because when the, the wedding happens, it's something that you don't want to happen, but you just have to accept because they really all of the all of the bad things sort of led to this. Season four is probably my favorite season, maybe because it's the first time like up until season three, like up until Reigns of Castamere, I was really starting to check out with the show despite like good episodes in seasons two and three, I was just kind of like, I don't really understand where this is all going. I don't really understand why the Stark kids are still separated. Like I don't, I don't really understand what the show is trying to do to me, but then season four was where it kind of, I know you kind of said it's like a transitional season, but for some reason it's six in my head in the most, it's like the season where most of the episodes stand alone for me. And I remember them more vividly for, for whatever reason. 
but just everything from you know Daenerys getting to Marine and how all that goes down. Uh, I think the way that Joffrey dies is just pitch perfect, and and how they bring Olena into it. Uh, I love Tyrion's trial and the laws of gods and men, and even his stupid little speech he gives to Jamie about the Beatles. I think is very charming, and <laughs> and just that gut punch of Oberyn and the Mountain. I think one of the last like really surprising gut punches of the series in a way, in a lot of ways, at least for me, because like by that point I had read the book. So then I knew, I knew about John's death and I knew about a lot of things that you could foretell. And then some of the big gut punches they have in season eight don't quite hit as hard as when Oberyn loses. Right. And so, so that one, that one had a huge effect on me. And I think one of my favorite scores that they ever did for the show is in the last episode of season four, the children, where it has everybody kind of going off and and the score, the remix score in that is just so beautiful. It's so wonderful. And so I, I, I hold that one up as like an A, like my one A season, right? I have no really big complaints whatsoever. Season five, I have to agree, is just my absolute least favorite. I can't stand it. And you took the words out of my mouth with what they did with Sansa. Mm-hmm. And I didn't, I didn't hate what they did with Arya, but I thought it was kind of dull for the most part. And yeah, I, I just, every time I think of season five, I think of Sand Snakes. I think of how they took this awesome Sansa character in season four. They were, they put her on a trajectory and then they put her in like the place of a character in the books just to like shock and upset us. And that's for same thing for me. It's like the first time the show really took me off guard in a bad way. And I started hating it. <laughs> uh, love, love season six. I think, yeah, Battle of the Bastards, really great, really great pacing in that season. Season seven. Yeah. It's, it's more of like a B minus. It's, it's not, it's, it's just rush season seven and eight. I just think that they, they, they had a chance to do more episodes. They had the budget to do more episodes and they didn't. And that really frustrates me. So I guess that's a, a good way to get into this actual season and the series finale. And it's hard to do that without also talking about season seven to some extent. So definitely can keep that open. Kimber, you've been listening to us just like a couple of old maesters, me and Julia, just <laughs> rattling on and on. But um, what, let's let's talk about this season. What, what did you think of season eight and the series finale? Yeah, I, I think that there were perhaps even more dramatic highs and lows in this season than in ones past where there were episodes that um, I just really did not enjoy. I mean, I think most notably it was the fourth episode, uh, The Last of the Starks, which is uh, the one with um, just like all kinds of stuff happens in that. But (laughs) just I... I, I got I kind of got to the point with this season where other than a few moments, I just didn't care as much or at all in some cases, which is which was a tough thing to come to. And I'm sure part of that is that um, I was recapping and it became far more of a a job and Sunday nights while I enjoy the show were um, like this frenzied uh, moment to try to write anywhere from 1500 to 2000 words in an hour. And so, so that there may be some revisiting that comes in the future. Um, but yeah, I would say this was not one of my favorite season, but it did have many moments that, um, that I loved. Gotcha. Gotcha. And then what, what about you, Julia? I think, I think you were about to say season eight is your favorite, uh, season of any TV show ever. Not, not quite, not quite. Almost so, John. You tried. Um, yeah, there were. I mean, there were certain uh, character arcs that I felt like ended fairly well. I was content with the ending uh, for a few characters, so I was happy with, say, characters like Sir Davos and Samuel Tarly. I was very excited to see my girl Sansa be crowned the Queen in the North, uh, and I think that we did see some really great direction too from a couple of the episodes and especially a few of the moments, high mo- high points from a few of the episodes. Um, I have to say that my favorite episode of the last season was by far a night of the seven kingdoms. I think that it was just, yeah. a, it was a really well done episode. I thought that it was great. It was a great build up to the Battle of Winterfell. I'm glad that we stayed in one place. I'm glad that we spent a lot of time with the characters that we really cared about. 
even though the episode afterwards, we were all kind of caught off guard by the fact that we had spent so much time with these characters that we all thought were going to leave us. And then so many of them ended up, you know, sticking around for a little bit longer. Um, I also thought that uh, throughout the last season, there were some nice homages and uh, nods to the Lord of the Rings, either visually or from the books, which I think was kind of nice, uh, especially considering that Martin really pulls a lot of inspiration from Tolkien's work. Uh, So it was kind of nice to see those nods throughout. But yeah, I just felt kind of like a few fans and uh, uh, writers have been saying that it was, there were a lot of very divisive moments and uh, a bit of uh, disappointment here and there, but you know, it ended. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It ended. Our watch has ended. uh, Our watch has ended. And and it feels it feels good. It feels good to kind of let this series just stop. (laughs) I think that nine seasons is uh, or eight seasons is pretty good run. But yeah, I as as far as things that I guess I liked about this season in the series finale, I I think the the show's never looked better. Probably, Uh, I think all the dragon fire, all of the the staging, everything they did with the map to sort of let it episode by episode change slightly. It all felt kind of like a nice little love letter to the technical aspects of the show, which have evolved a lot since the first season. And that that's something that unlike maybe the writing has evolved and progressed at a pretty good pace because they've gotten pretty good budgets. And also the score it, again, never been better. I think uh, everything we've been, we've been hearing with the, the way that uh, Diwali was able to like mix some of the scores, like the Stark theme with like the main theme and just going through the soundtrack is a really fun experience. And I think what the last few moments of the show where I, I guess I'm kind of an outlier, maybe it's because I, I stopped caring as much kind of similar to you, Kimber. Like I stopped investing really high expectations into the show a while ago. And that two-year gap really helped me to sort of like fade out my my interest in a way that was like, I can't wait to see what happens. It was more of just like, well, what happens, happens. And so the fact that they did it in kind of a very basic average way was enough for me personally. But I understand like for a lot of people, they expect much better and probably rightfully so. So what for better or worse, what were some things that surprised you the most, uh, either in a good way or in a bad way? Like, for example... I was pretty surprised that that Bran ended up on the Iron Throne. I know some people kind of called it, but I think the reason that surprised me the most was I just it surprises me that Bran is kind of a bad person, I guess, is what we're supposed to take away from that. I don't know. What do you guys think? Yeah, that was that was an unpleasant surprise for me as as well. I I wasn't like totally shocked. The I, I mentioned this in in my recap of the the series finale. The books place far more emphasis on um, on Bran than the show ever has. Um, both far more emphasis as well as I think it's clear how much Martin really loves Bran as a character. He's the first perspective uh, character proper um, that's given in the books, and. Um, yeah, his importance within the the larger series is is clear there, but I don't think that that ever translated well to to the show. Um, and personally, whether it's the book or the books or the show, it was never really a favorite of mine mm-hmm. <laughs> either. So I was I also don't really see him as being entirely fit to to run the the six uh, nations, but which I think is part of part of the issue and I'm sure part of the the calculus there is of course his all seeing all knowing but not really um perspective um and knowledge of history but as well as the fact that he doesn't want it and isn't power hungry which I I do think that that's interesting and how many other characters have quested for power and how that has been their end um but yeah I I that was my least favorite part of the this series finale. Everything else, most of the other ends, I was largely pretty happy with. But his, I was, I just, I rolled my eyes and I groaned and it was <laughs> bad. <laughs> I, I only groaned when he said, why do you think I came all this way? Because <laughs> I think yep. the implications are a bit wild. <laughs> but yeah, what, what about you, Julia? Things that surprised you, maybe Brandon in particular? 
Yeah, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll build off of uh, that too. Yeah, I was very mixed on Bran being crowned the crowned uh, symbolically uh, the king of the six kingdoms. Um, I thought it was kind of for me because I haven't read the books. I haven't uh, don't have the same kind of knowledge that uh, readers of the books or Kim- Kimber the same knowledge that you had about uh, Martin having such. Uh, love for the character of Bran and how different he's treated in the books versus in the show adaptation. But yeah, I also just felt that it was kind of un- unexpected, even just in the continu- within the continuity of the final season. I think that there was a scene um, in the episode, episode following the Battle of Winterfell where he, uh, Bran and Tyrion have a discussion and Bran says the line, I don't want anymore. So yeah. it kind of just was a little bit off-putting to hear have that so fresh in my mind and then to be mm-hmm. hearing brands say oh why did you why do you think I came all this way you, it, it just some of the things just didn't feel right I guess um especially considering within the tor- short time constraint between each, every episode um but I guess uh still the kind of tying everything up by the end really got in the way for me of just kind of how I felt about uh, that ending. But, you know, if you're going to have a monarch who will definitely not repeat or try to not repeat the mistakes of the past, I guess that someone who can see the past might be the person to choose. So. Yeah. I, I think they just needed more time, I think yeah, with brand. Right. And, and they had an opportunity to do 10 episodes. So the fact that they did six, yeah, it just, it gave it gives me this feeling like, they just wanted to be done with it and move on. And that really bums me out. Cause I think there is a way to tell that story of like, cause it's just, you have to do so much headcanon with the show now for it to work. Mm-hmm, <laughs> and absolutely. if you're not willing, yeah, if you're not willing to do that, because it's not your job to do that, then <laughs> I, I can see people coming away from it more negatively. Like for me, like th- the mental gymnastics I put myself through, was like, okay, well, it's not that he wants anything for himself. Maybe it's just, maybe he has like a kind of various thing going on where he, he doesn't want things. He's just sort of like needs things for the good of people. And, but there's nothing really in the show. Right. Right. But then there's nothing really in the show to support that. (laughs) So you're just sort of like making excuses and, I don't know. It's so, I'm not saying writing is easy. We all, all three of us know that that's not the case, but I do think like that's, it's the biggest show, so it kind of requires a little bit more effort, I would argue, in really making these things really work. I know for a lot of people, one of the biggest criticisms of this entire season has been Daenerys's tragic fall, uh, specifically in the penultimate episode when she kind of cements herself as the Mad Queen. Kimber, where where are you at with all of that? I mean, that's something that people have been talking about for a while. Uh, how did that moment and series of moments really play out for you? Um, I I didn't find it as big of a shock as as a lot of people did. I think that they laid the groundwork throughout the series and pe- previous seasons that um, she absolutely craved power and believed that ruling the seven kingdoms was her destiny and would do anything to get to that point. Um, I agree that it was rushed in and how it uh, got to that point, but was less, was less bothered by that than many people. And I know a lot of people have also had issues with the fact that um, both Daenerys and Cersei really go mad with power in a way that I think um, people are seeing as um, an, a commentary on women in power and women rulers. But I found it less so and just more of a, like, almost everyone in this series who gets any kind of power or craves any kind of power um, really messes stuff up. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I but I... I found that episode difficult to watch, even while I was hoping that it would go the other way while um, Tyrion really engineered um, a chance for the people of the city to be able to escape with their lives. Um, And that moment of the turn was 
just awful and, and really unpleasant. Um, but in a way that I didn't necessarily feel was unearned. Yeah. I think, I think less of it, of that moment for me is what happens after it's just so drawn out. And mm. I don't know, part of me feels like you can get all of that across, like the horrific disaster of Danny deciding she's just going to burn it all. And maybe just not do that for an hour. <laughs> I think, I think that's what it is for me is just like, it's so much. And I, I think my, my one of one big complaint I have against the series as a whole is the characterization of Daenerys. You get the sense that the showrunners moved away from book Daenerys, which she's very, she's much more flawed in the book. She's more, she's not like this paragon of liberation. She's more of like a pragmatic kind of like teenage girl who is can be very immature but also like violently idealistic and so the books really set it up well and and i've noticed a lot of book readers have had an easier time reconciling this but if you've been watching the show the the showrunners have really leaned into the popularity of her as this like figure of empowerment so it's it's very easy to look at this moment as like flirting with sexist tropes of like don't give women power this is what'll happen even though I'm sure, you know, Benioff and Weiss would be like, no, no, that's not it at all. Look, Sansa's queen in the north. Aren't you happy? I, I think I think there's a lot to be said there. But Julia, what, what is your take? Uh, were you were you always a Daenerys fan? Did, what, what, what's your history with her? Yeah, I mean, because my investment in the show or in the series has never been so extraordinarily passionate as so many other fans, I've always been... Uh, just I've enjoyed I've enjoyed her character so much from past seasons because there have been a lot more moments of introspection. And I think that of what we lost from her character's writing is that kind of reflection and introspection that I think she was given in previous seasons. And I really wanted to see more of her as kind of this singular character outside of how other characters were interpreting her actions. And I think that her descent into the obsession, her obsession over the throne by the very end is absolutely plausible. It's foreshadowed throughout what have you, but something was lost in that last season with her that I felt like we had had before. And I think that a lot of that was a lot of, was some more of the, uh, reflection and some more of the, uh, uh, commentary on her own ideas and rationale behind what she was doing, what she was doing rather than just taking action for the sake of an ultimate goal. Yeah. I think a lot of that is right. Uh, Let's talk about some of the things that we're more mixed on. I think we've kind of stepped on a few of these things. And I know like for me, for example, I'm a bit mixed with this ending in terms of the small council. (laughs) Uh, On the one hand, I like that they have humor kind of playing out because it's, it's such a downbeat episode like the first part of it first part of the finale is so downtrodden john has to do the thing and then all that stuff but then you have Tyrion and sam kind of joking around but and maybe this is just like a, a big nitpick but the idea that Tyrion wouldn't be in this like song of ice and fire book that really bothered me. <laughs> it's like, oh, the guy who killed Tywin Lannister, the hand of the king, the person whose supposed dagger kicked off the battle, the the war for the five kings. Why would Meister Ebro's not? I don't know. How did the humor work for you all? Or am I am I being nitpicky? Yeah, I mean, I I enjoyed having a bit of a reprieve after uh, so much death and sadness. I don't know if I necessarily buy that. Braun would be given the master of the coin position as much as I am always happy to see Braun in any scene. Um, but yeah, I, I didn't mind at all. I did think it was kind of like a ridiculous bit in terms of like everyone is very concerned with um, various practical issues, um, infrastructure, trying to recover the kingdoms while um Braun is talking about the brothels because Braun got a Braun, but, and then, um, Bran comes in and just is going to focus on the dragon. And it kind of felt like a commentary on what his rule is going to be that he'll just like focus on this one thing while other people are actually like getting stuff done that will benefit the people. Right. It's like Bran 
never does anything. <laughs> so why would he yeah. do anything as king? I, there were just so many opportunities for them to flesh him out, give him a role in the Battle of Winterfell beyond just working into the Ravens, you know? And it, it would have been so easy to like, just let him work into the dragons and like, yeah. let him be like, oh, let me help you guys from like crashing into each other. Like it's Looney Tunes. But I don't know. They just sort of avoided letting Bran have agency and, that was really weird to me. Another thing that was really weird to me was Arya not really getting anything to do after the death of after she kills the Night King. Uh, Julia, what, what did you think of Arya's arc this season? I, th- I think you like Arya, right? Who doesn't? Oh yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, I would definitely say that. Sit, agree with that too. By you know, is after her kind of going through King's Landing too, especially and um, her mission, her uh, her list, knocking off uh, Queen Cersei from her list, the last person, or one of the last people, was just this very kind of big lead up that I think a lot of people were looking forward to. A lot of fans of Arya definitely were looking forward to. And then kind of being ran, run out of the city by a dragon breathing fire and this whole um, her riding out of the city on the white horse. And then we don't really see that kind of payoff in the last episode and yeah I don't know it was a lot of complicated feelings on that one and then the desire for her to travel to see what's beyond Westeros I don't know where that came from exactly in terms of she does say it in a previous book I think I don't know if she ever said it in the show but I I think she has said she I think she asked uh Gosh, a character in Bravos at one point, she was like, what's West of Westeros? But yeah, it's a very small setup. It's not like, mm-hmm. this is what her character has been building up to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's... Yeah, I, I was so looking forward to seeing Arya just have... Be built up, be brought back into the so much of her humanity that she had in the first seasons before she was trained to be a member of the face... Uh, be be the faceless killer basically and become this like young assassin. And we got to see so many moments where she had her humanity restored in this last season. And then just kind of the, she's going to travel off to see what's beyond Westeros was a bit of a, um, again, I'm not so involved with the books, but it it was just a bit uh, off putting, I guess, because I wasn't expecting it. Uh, did you have anything to add to that, Kimber Myers, about Arya? Or I really want to talk about Jon Snow, if we have a yes. chance. <laughs> um, from the perspective of Arya, I actually appreciated that after that moment in uh, the penultimate episode with the Hound where he urged her to go, I liked that her life was not going to be entirely about vengeance and um, taking Cersei out. I did find that Cersei and Jamie's death did not, deaths did not um, really feel either um, satisfying or particularly interesting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I did appreciate that at least in the last episode, um, you do actually like, not that I was craving a gore shot, but you actually do see their bodies and you get the reaction from Tyrion, which I thought was more interesting. Um, And he certainly had a stronger reaction than I did, which I felt like most of these deaths in the the last couple of episodes, I just kind of shrugged at, (laughs) which couldn't have been what they were going for. But um, yeah, I, I wasn't as bothered by that and really liked the idea that she could move on from the vengeance that has driven her her life for so many years at that point and instead will be going on to literally someplace and somewhere new. Yeah, yeah. Arya, she's she's just going to go explore and have adventures. And I much prefer that to some of the folks who were like, she's going to marry Gendry and have babies. Mm-hmm. This was Ned Stark <laughs> talking, by the way. Um, yeah, I, I agree with that. I do appreciate that Tyrion had something like they've really just let him be sort of a punching bag the last couple seasons, which we sort of mentioned and his big thing, his big maneuver, his big game of the throne is to put Bran on the throne. And 
I know a lot of people have been kind of making fun of his whole speech about stories, you know, having a good story is like really important. But again, this might be another headcanon thing. I thought that was a pretty convincing argument. Maybe it could have been written a little bit more elegantly, but the idea of Tyrion kind of being like, all right, we want there to be peace. We need to put somebody on the throne who the people are going to rally behind. And I think that's probably is what is convincing. It's just they don't really give any sort of time and care to like, why would Yara go along with this? Why would Dorne go along with this? Especially when Sansa is like, the North is now going to be independent. Why wouldn't they lobby to be independent as well? Are they afraid of the army? Because there's just the Northmen. So a lot for a political show, there there aren't enough, like here's how the politics played out. There's just a lot of like, shrug we need to move on to the next scene and laugh at democracy bye and that that kind of made me feel a little underwhelmed but i don't know i i guess i never really pictured this show sorting out the iron throne with a speech with mm-hmm. you know like outside yeah. of king's landing it just seems a little anticlimactic to me but i guess this is it it's time to talk about john snow we've been putting yeah. it off and i i, I don't even know where to begin um <laughs> So we'll start with Julia Tatey. Oh, gee. Okay. <laughs> Jon Snow, the, the the man who knows nothing. Uh, uh, his arc yeah. has been an interesting one. Uh, how would how would you how would you summate it for this season? Oh gosh, how would one? <laughs> um, <laughs> I yeah, I think that I, along with a number of other folks, were probably a little bit shocked by the end of his whole narrative but the more that I think about it and the kind of you know little nods and inspirations and homages to uh the Lord of the Rings and it made a little bit more sense that John would never be king and he's kind of sent back to the wall and off until the off into the wilderness almost like the show's own iteration of like Frodo sailing off to the undying lands but with a little bit of a more negative connotation. Um, I'm kind of glad to have seen John, who arguably was earnest throughout this entire series about never wanting to have any kind of leadership role and just kind of being this figure that everyone looked to and having that validated by so many other characters throughout the seasons. Um, I was actually pretty glad to not see him crowned king or what have you in the final episode. Um, It would have made sense, sure. Um, I think that from the final episode too, the whole reveal of his parentage has probably just gone out the window. And I think a lot of people are wondering, wondering, well, what was the point of even bringing that up if this wasn't the end game all along? But for me, it was very nice to see John not not gain more of a leadership role, especially given the fact that he has been so against it and because i just don't think he he uh he he deserved it honestly yeah i i have a hot pie take maybe a dragon <laughs> fire take uh i i honestly think it's kind of the point that yeah like, the fact it, it's 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 just ironic it's irony that his bloodline which would have made his case his claim to the iron throne stronger is ultimately what stopped him from being king? And you can yep. almost see it as like Bran's reasoning. It's like he probably knew that if John didn't know about his parentage, if he didn't know about this bloodline, then he and Danny probably would have ruled together and it would have gotten to a point where no one would have been able to stop her. And he probably would have been hoodwinked into another Targaryen dynasty. And if you look at that as sort of the plan, it, it's so dastardly, but it's Bran playing the Game of Thrones better than anybody, because who better than someone who's watched and learned from like so many others, right, as the Greenseer. So on that level, I kind of dig it. I know people are like, well, what was the point? And, and I get that. I think the point is John would have been a good king if the bloodline wouldn't have gotten in the way. Like he earned it. But then found out it's kind of an interesting subversion to me. But Kimber Myers, do you do you think I'm nuts? Uh, do you think I need to to go north and provide <laughs> penance for my take? I largely like it, except that I do think that um, like I, I appreciate his lack of 
interest in in ruling and how he is, I think, genuinely one of the the few um, good people in the show. And though he is willing to do things that are um, awful and difficult to get to a better point, namely the the act of of killing Daenerys. Um, but I think he also would have been a terrible ruler. Uh, <laughs> he. I think he makes terrible decisions and misjudges situations a lot. I think in he doesn't uh, know anything. He's very yes, <laughs> he very gullible. <laughs> um, cute though, but he yeah. I I was not upset, and I thought actually like that was a a fitting end for him that he in many ways really found a home with. The, the free folk and um, I love the idea of like the buddy comedy that maybe exists between him and Torm- Tormund <laughs> of the yeah, wall BFFs yeah I'm I'm with that and I, I hope that Tormund finds finds a nice lady who's <laughs> very tall and um, cannot live up to Brienne because no one can live up to Brienne but absolutely hopefully nothing's, nothing's stopping him from visiting maybe he's got to round up some night watch recruits and uh, Tormund's <laughs> in town Brienne's like well I can't get married might as well see how it compares <laughs> yeah so I I think it was was fine um and and was very fitting with who who he'd revealed himself to be over over the seasons and what he wanted from life but um yeah i thought we would disagree more about this i'm almost disappointed (laughs) the more i think about the more it just seemed like the the fitting end for him the content end yeah and and just the idea of like that's where he belongs, the real North. Yeah. And the, the idea of like him repairing the relationship between the wildlings and the Northmen is compelling to me because it's sort of him kind of cleaning up his mess, like the mess of his people. And that to me is something that's like, that's what Jon Snow is good at. <laughs> so he, it's like one of the few things he's good at, like yeah. that and killing things. So he should definitely stick to that. And yeah. I loved that they, they, I'm so glad they let Sansa be the queen in the North. I was so worried they were going to try to make her too conniving and they were going to not reward her with Winterfell, give it to Bran or something. And no, like I think of all the characters in the show, hers is probably the most well-realized arc to me. Like there's a very clear progression. There are clear moments that lead to things. It's not like Arya where she gets like magic powers, like at the drop of a dime and like a lot of complaints from season six. I think some from that where she just suddenly, she survives things she shouldn't survive and all of that. And even though Arya, I think is the most thrilling character to watch for me personally, Sansa has always been more like to me, the heart of the show. What, what do you think, Kimber? Is is uh, am I a bigger Sansa fan than you are? No, I think that they did a great job with Sansa. Um, if only I, I think she actually deserved more than the North, since that was basically what she had going into that discussion. Um, but I was certainly happy that she got to keep it and appreciated the growth that she got through uh, through learning under Littlefinger and really her time spent in the court, which was so terrible. But I think it really um, did help her learn more about what to do and more importantly, what not to do as, mm. as a queen. Um, I do though want to take issue with your description of Arya, um, who I think a number of people have said, Oh, she's a Mary Sue or she has these powers that feel unearned. But I think she trained hard from season one, um, whether oh, yeah. you take there's very early moments in the courtyard at Winterfell to training with Sirio yeah. to, like all of the the learning and work that she did, I I think that she is a uh, a badass. And like each each thing, I'm like, yeah, I I buy that she did this really cool, powerful thing. And partially because of all that training, and I think too, like the way that Sirio taught her that her small size was an asset. Mm-hmm. Um, and being I, skinny. I loved that. Yeah, it was just it all really worked for me. I am 100% team start girls here. Yeah, I, I definitely don't think Arya is a Mary Sue. Yeah. I was very <laughs> like I was very much rooting for for her to defeat the Night King and yeah, all of those complaints of like 
that's unearned. Or like, why would she be able to kill the Night King? I thought it was like, she's like the only one who's even capable of it based on like what the show is presented. I guess I was talking more about her, her as a character and like how she gets her. I was really being more specific with seasons five and six. The, the way that they do the faceless men stuff didn't work for me nearly as well as like what she learns from the hound, especially. And one thing I did like about season eight is they sort of bring those characters back together, which you mentioned. And that was an interesting observation. And I, I forgot to mention too, of like the hound sort of convincing her that vengeance isn't the end all be all. And that mm-hmm. was something that I felt like I was missing interpretation wise of like, what was the point of her surviving that massacre and like getting on that horse and it's crystallizing a little bit, a little bit better for me. So, um, but were you going to say something to Julia? Uh, about what? I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, I can talk more about Sansa, my queen in the North who I would bend the knee to absolutely a hundred times over. She's been one of my favorite characters, especially throughout these last couple of seasons. And I just, I think that why I have so enjoyed watching her character arc and not all of her character arc to be very clear. A lot of what was Mm -hmm. captured, I think on screen with her was not, not so necessary. Um, But I do think that the one thing that I keep on thinking about Sansa is how she has been such a resilient character, not because of the trauma that she has endured, but in spite of all of it, I think that she has learned and not so much learned, but observed the behavior of people who were perceived to be some of the best players in the game. And one of my favorite, favorite lines from this past season was when uh, she and Tyrion uh, see each other for the first time in years, it would seem. And he says to her, a lot of people underestimated you. Most of them are dead now. I think that it's just such a, such a great observation of who she is as a survivor, as a resilient character, and not because of everything that she has endured, but she's always had that in her, I think, and has just proven time and time again that she she was made to be the ruler in for for the ending, the ruler in the north. But she is a she is a queen among peasants, I must say. <laughs> yeah, I think that's another avenue to what Kimber was saying earlier. If- maybe the writing could have been improved to explain why did she not want to rule the Iron Throne? Because I got the sense she didn't want to be the queen of everything. You know, because when they're all like, who's going to be the ruler? She doesn't speak up. She doesn't really go for it. And I, she I get this. She tells a man to sit down. That's right. And <laughs> Oh, such a good moment. I, I get the sense that she's done with King's Landing like what she endured there. And again, more John headcanon stuff, but I just get the sense that she wants the North and just the North. She doesn't want any, like she doesn't want to be the King's landing. She doesn't want any of that. She wants to have be home. And it's a, that's why I think her character arc is more interesting to me because the way where where she begins is so different from that being the thing that she really wants. Uh, But we, we could talk a lot about arcs. We didn't really get to a few of them, which is a shame, but we should talk about, the legacy of Game of Thrones and its cultural impacts. I'm really curious. I mean, Kimber, do you think there will ever be a show this successful? Is this truly the last water cooler show we will see? I really hope not. Um, I, I still think that we are in such an ambitious time for television that there could be a show. And I think it has to be, I think the tough thing is, is that it would have to be a show that is on a linear network or alternately um, one of the streaming exclusive platforms would have to release things differently, at least to have this very type of communal watching experience. Um, I think obviously when like Stranger Things 3 comes out next month that people are going to binge it. And that whole weekend will just be Stranger Things 3 all the time on on Twitter. But I do think that there's something to be said for the way that this linear classic, like, way of airing television um, like really... Like week to week, it. you mean? Yeah, sorry. I, I feel like that's my, like, platform marketing speak edging it. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think that the the way, like, the appointment television is very different experience than what we have with where we get and how we get most of our other content. Um, I don't know if anything else will 
quite reach this, but I do think that there's an opportunity for something else to really cap- capture the popular imagination. I think too, because as much as I loved this show, I think it had um, many flaws and was not entirely surprised that it became this juggernaut, but between the fact that it was, I think, an imperfect show, um, but also a really super nerdy one. (laughs) (laughs) And yet, like, people who never would have previously thought they'd be into a show, um, particularly one about dragons, like the zombies part, sure, like the success of The Walking Dead and um, other pop culture things about zombies. But Game of Thrones is real nerdy. <laughs> like there are dragons and there are um, like smoke murderers being born out of witches. <laughs> it's, yeah. The fact that it was able to become such a big show is amazing. And um, I, I think was actually really well-timed with the like increased nerdery across the larger pop culture spectrum, because it was really hand in hand with this first era of the MCU where it's been more okay to wear to let your your geek flag fly. Like the fact that you can buy Captain America shirts at Old Navy and you see them on the street everywhere. And I think it's just generally made these geekier pursuits more acceptable culturally. Generally, I think for for better. Um, I, I hate it when the people who have been fantasy and sci-fi fans forever get all up in a snit because everybody likes this thing that they like and have liked for years, but no, that's, that's a great thing. It means that we're going to get more stuff like this and hopefully more innovation in those areas to give us um, new fresh stuff to nerd out over. Yeah. It's funny because we have in sci-fi, we have star Wars as a sort of thing that brings nerds and mainstream people together. And then I guess you could say Lord of the Rings kind of high school. John would argue that Lord <laughs> of the Rings wasn't exactly, you know, uh, Harry Potter, I guess you sort of start to get a little bit closer to, but th- this is like old school medieval fantasy, right? It, it's so different. And uh, yeah, it makes me wonder like, is the next thing is walking dead like that horror cross cultural thing. And uh, you know, the Marvel Cinematic Universe has been that for superheroes. So it is sort of a, there's, there's a big question mark for me on like, what's next? What What is going to be the next thing that sort of unites us? And I think, uh, I, I have a bad feeling, Julia Tady, it's not going to be Barry. Uh, I can already hear your disappointment. <laughs> it's such a good show. Everyone watch for NoHo Hank. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, what, what's your take on the the cultural impact of Game of Thrones, Julia. Uh, do you think these prequels are going to be a hit? Like, what what should we expect from that? Yeah, I mean, gosh, it's really hard to you know peer and warg into the future, if you will, <laughs> seeing <laughs> seeing how Game of Thrones is going to continue to make an impact. But I think that I mean, it has made such a huge impact in just the television. Uh, spectrum that we've seen going into this age of like prestige television and what have you. And I think that, you know, it only means that we're going to have shows and series on the horizon that are going to just continue to raise the bar in terms of storytelling, in terms of the narratives that we see, the faces that we see on television, definitely the writing that we see behind these pieces of pop culture and these products of pop culture and entertainment. Um, I definitely think that HBO seems to think that there's a lot of potential on the horizon. I keep seeing their (laughs) trailers for all their upcoming projects, uh, everything from Watchmen to His Dark Materials and everything in between. Whoa, what is that? Sorry, Sorry, I pulled up a... uh, I was doing some reference. I was like, what else could there be? And it was like... The, the answer in the article that I pulled up that had that autoplay video. Uh, <laughs> gotta love it. I, yeah, it was like the stock materials and Wheel of Time. And yeah, sorry to interrupt. No, you're so fun. It was the <laughs> ad that interrupted, not you, Kimber. Um, <laughs> she was really on Instagram. And then, darn you know. autoplay. Yeah, no, I was bored, Julia. Be more interesting. Just kidding. I'm so sorry. <laughs> um, no, I think that there's like, there's so, so much potential. Um, on the horizon for uh, these different kind of genre shows to really gain a lot of traction. 
for genre shows to be taken a lot more seriously than I think they have in the past and in this age of, I guess, prestige television to really have such a variety of different shows with a lot of different faces and people behind them. Uh, I have no reason but to hope for more epic stories in the future. All right. I think that is a wonderful place to end it. I definitely agree with a lot of that and time will tell. We'll see. We'll see if the wheel will get broken once again, but for now there's plenty of other things. HBO definitely wants to become the next water cooler show. Who knows what'll happen, but ladies, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your GOT knowledge with the Cinemaholics listeners. Uh, Don't forget if you want to follow both of these fine women on Twitter, you can go to our show notes and links to their Twitter and all their work online is right there. And with that, we'll see you all for the main show next week. We can say our houses. Oh, jeez. Yeah, that's house, a good one. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> all right, favorite all right. piece, Westeros, what have you. All right. Well, to, to finish out, how about we do this? Uh, Julia Tatey, please let the listeners know which, which person should have been on the Iron Throne. Uh, I think it's pretty obvious. It's 100% Sansa Stark. Make Brienne her hand. Let's just have the rule of the women happen right now. (laughs) (laughs) All right. And Kimber Myers. Um, I am also on Team Sansa, although I would prefer that Brienne be her master of war. Um, So I got to mix it up a little bit so Julia and I aren't 100% on the right page. There we go. All right, I'm gonna be I'm gonna be the odd one out, and I'm gonna say, give Hot Pie the Iron Throne, <laughs> delicious baked goods for everyone. That's the platform. <laughs> but of course, his hand his hand is gonna be Santa Stark. She's really gonna be running the show. Yeah. <laughs>